All right. The most important part out of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there was a plane and it had five people in it. A president, a lawyer, a young teenage boy, a priest, and a blonde. We'll leave out gender so we can be politically correct. <laughs> the plane driver, so this must be from another country other than America, said that the plane was going to crash, so one of them had to jump off without a parachute because there's only four parachutes. So they were talking to each other about who was going to jump off without a parachute. The president spoke first, and he said, well, I run a part of this earth, so I should get a parachute. So he jumped off with one. Then the blonde spoke and said, I'm beautiful, so I should get one too. Jumped off with one. The ne next person was a lawyer, and he said, well, I help people solve their problems, so I should get one. So he jumped off with one. Now there's only two the priest and the teenage boy. The priest said to the boy, here, you take the last parachute and go because you will live a longer life than me. But then the boy said, no, it's all right. There are still two parachutes left. The blonde only took my backpack. That was God's choice. See the blonde? <laughs> so today is like a little pause. Um, I was, you know, studying Hebrews 11, and when I started the next week to continue where I'd left off, that phrase in Hebrews. Let me see if I can find it. It's referring to Abraham, and it's verse. Uh, Let's start with 13, but the main verse is 14 that we're going to look at. And I, I'm reading out the Passion. It says, These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm, which is very important. You know, we need to live this life because we do belong to another realm. That's that's how we need to live it. But here, this got my attention. For clearly, those who live this way are longing for the appearance of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater, that is, the heavenly realm. And because of that, because their eyes were focused on the heavenly realm, God was not ashamed to call them uh, their, His own, right? So, verse 14, and then the other one is verse 10. And this is referring to Abraham again. It says, His eyes of faith were set on the city, not a city, the city, with unshakable foundations whose architect and builder is God himself. Okay, so that one and verse 14, really, so I, I would actually say verse 10 is the, the, the main uh, scripture today. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundation, the foundations whose architect and builder was God himself. Okay, that was intriguing because we're actually in that time that he saw. And when I was going to continue on with chapter 11, I felt like I needed to go back and really dig into that a little bit. So we're going to take kind of like a wild ride on the wild side. Because by the time we get to the end, I was like, what? Okay, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. I'm going to read it out of the English Standard Version because I want to nail down this city and where exactly this city is. It says in Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, now Abraham dwelt as a stranger 
and an alien inside the promised land. Right? Here it's saying you're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. Because we're now citizens of the household of God and we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Abraham was looking for a city with unshakable foundations. This, this is fascinating. Abraham is called the father of faith for good reason. Because he saw very, very clearly the time we're living in now. I mean, it, all of the language here is the exact same. So he's looking for this city. Obviously, he was looking for a city that was not earthly. Because if that was the case, he could have found any city. Jerusalem would have been that city. But everything on earth is a pattern after what is in God's mind and what is reality in heaven. So Abraham's looking for this city, and Paul is telling us this city is now being built. And it's laid upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ being the cornerstone. Now we know what a you know, cornerstone, it's the initial stone that's set, right? But I wanted a, like an official definition. So I looked it up and it says a cornerstone is, quote, the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. So Paul says specifically, like sometimes he would say Christ Jesus and sometimes he would say Jesus Christ. Some people believe that when he says Christ Jesus, he is emphasizing his Messiahship, if that's even a word. The anointed one. The one that Israel was waiting for for hundreds of years. When he does that, he's pointing specifically to the fact that not only is Jesus the first stone, but he's also the first stone of this new kingdom race of people in the house of God who's also the first stone, Christ, the anointed one. Now, why is this important? Why is Christ Jesus so important? Because Jesus is not another man. He's not just a prophet. Okay? He's not a socialist either. Jesus is God in the flesh. God became human. The Word became human. So He's the chief cornerstone. Okay, if He is the first stone set in the foundation of the city that God is building, then every stone has to reference itself off of Jesus. But most of Christendom, at least in America, because I live there, so I can at least testify to this. That's not the case. A lot of what is taught is actually in contradiction to this reality. If Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the reference point of us, Jesus was sinless. He walked in extraordinary power. He was love. Uh, he exemplified who we are supposed to be now. A completely new and totally uh, be, uh, new being, new creation, new race. No one existed before Jesus Christ like Jesus Christ. Yet, we're usually taught we're still sinners, right? I mean, I have preached this for years. We're not righteous yet. We're not holy yet. We're still the same, except now we have Holy Spirit in us and He helps us manage sin. He helps us, you know, hopefully one day maybe we'll go from being a worm to maybe a, I don't know, a butterfly. You know, that is the mentality of a lot of people. Have y'all heard of the Reformed Church of whatever that is? Uh, Latter-day Saints? No, it's not Latter-day Saints. <laughs> There's many Reformed It's Reformed Church of Christ or Reformed Christ Church or I don't know. And uh, a friend was telling me about it. They don't believe in the miracles of God. Uh, they don't believe in prophecy. If you prophesy, if you teach prophecy, if you teach anything supernatural, you're of the devil. Uh, you're still a sinner. You may be going to heaven. It, it's to be decided, to be determined. TBT. 
And I'm like, why? Why? Why would you follow a God that no longer does miracles? It says that the enemy will bring forward the Antichrist with the working of lying signs and wonders. Why wouldn't I just follow him? Well, and again, it's false then to say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. That he's the same God because if he did miracles back, then he has to do them now. And then why even be born again mm -hmm. if you're still a sinner? Why would you ever try to attain as Jesus was on the earth, so are you if it's impossible? It is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And not only that, you're pharisaical. Because the Pharisees said that the power that Jesus used to work miracles was the devil. And guess what? He said, all right, let me make something extremely plain. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I keep it unlike Obama. You can blaspheme me. You can blaspheme the Father. But when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're probably going to hell. John said "There's all sin can be forgiven but one. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So you've got entire denominations that are creating doctrines that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, what is their cornerstone? It ain't Jesus Christ. It ain't Christ Jesus. It's man's doctrine. So it's extremely crucial for the believer, okay, to study Jesus Christ in light of that's who I am now. The only difference, other than the fact that Jesus Christ is God, but when He was a man, the only difference between us and Him is He was born sinless, right? He, he didn't have a soul that had to be retrained as a kingdom kid. He never sinned. He lived His life in that relationship with the Lord. And personally, I believe the cup He did not want to drink wasn't to take our sins on Him, and it wasn't to take the punishment because he said for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame. Personally, I believe the cup that he did not want to drink was being separated from his father. Okay? So we, now that we're born again, the Bible, not man, the Bible says that we are new creations in Christ. Behold, pay attention, wise up. All things have passed away. Everything has become new. The salvation of the soul, described in James, is the renewing of the soul. We, it's simply, you have a manual. Read it, and that will retrain you in the ways of God. Okay? God's original intent was for us to never be sinners. So you've got these cornerstones that people have set in place that are the opposite of what God the Father set in place, and that is Jesus Christ. So when Jesus laid down his life, he's the chief cornerstone. We model everything after him, but he also is a model of who we are. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's the most important thing, because you're not going to have a correct house, and that's why we have such jacked up Christians. I mean, uh, if I could stand up, I'd be pacing. What, how can a person go to church for 30 years and be the same person 30 years later? The chief cornerstone hasn't been laid. So everything that's taught from that point on is skewed. Isn't there something about, oh, here's a story in that book. A pastor, he was wanted to be involved in the building project of his their new building, right? And he begged the contractor, can I please, 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 please help, please? He's like, okay, here's what you can do. Cut 200 two-by-fours to eight feet. Okay. So he cuts the first one, and then he takes the next one, he puts the first one on top, marks it, cuts it, and he repeats this process to where by the time he's done, all of the work and all of those 200 pieces of 2x4s are off because you cannot cut the next piece of wood from the last piece of wood. So what's happened is we have hundreds of years of doctrine that has been passed down, but God always has his remnant. He always has those. They're not satisfied. This might be you. 
not satisfied with the status quo, always feel like you're a pioneer and wonder where everybody else is, uh, always digging new ground that you shouldn't have to dig, it should have been dug and then kept. I mean, you know, you people look at you like you're a weirdo when you say that I'm not a sinner. I mean, you know, you start talking about uh, healing and that God already healed you. Oh, well, if it's His will, what it, it is His will because He already did it. So we're the weird, the weird ones, right? We stand out like sore thumbs. If that describes you, congratulations, because you're part of His remnant that have been, um, what's the word? Faithful. Faithful to the original faith delivered once and for all to the saints. We're like the keepers. Not elite. I'm not saying we're elite. It's by the grace of God, quite frankly. We have kept the faith. And so our job is to build based on the chief cornerstone, people. You can't build people according to your idea of how they should be. Right? It has to be His idea of how they should be. Before we go on, if you, in the mirror in 2.21, it says, in him every one of us are like living Lego blocks fitted together of the same fabric. Mm -hmm. And I know you had had a dream of Legos. And, yep. like, and then in 22 said, in him you are constructed together as God's permanent spiritual residence. You are God's address. Very good. I thought that was good. Yeah, that's really good. Paul specifically <coughs> points out that he is the Christ. The Son of the living God, the Word made flesh, and that distinguishes Him from all other gods and religious beliefs. That's why Buddhists and Hindus and all that. No, not all of those ways lead to God. Only one, and that's a person. Now, I want to read Matthew uh, 16, 18 from the Passion. Because we're, we're talking about the city of God, right? What that city consists of, how it's being built. So in Matthew 16, 18, in the Passion Translation, it says, I give you the name Peter, a stone. So he's like a little pebble, okay? And this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I build my ecclesia. I'm going to put that in there versus church because that's a totally different Greek word. My legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. Okay, this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation. Not principles. Not man's idea of who Jesus Christ is. You know that whole and part, you join the whole, uh, or the parts to make a whole. In Christ, you take His whole and He makes your part whole. You know, um, He is the sum of all things. And so once you're swallowed up in Him, you're able to now be a whole person. But it has to be sourced on who He is in all of His truth. He's a lion and a lamb. He's kind and He's severe. He's, a, you know, Ananias and Sapphira are a very good example of His severity. His kindness is displayed to the thief who said, I'd like to be, you know, with you. I believe in you. You'll be with me today in uh, my kingdom. He's, he's a lion in that Manasseh lived however many years perversely following all these different gods as king. Uh, it was Hezekiah's son, and at the end he repented and the Lord accepted it. I mean, that's that's who he is. He offends and he smooths feathers. He challenges, but he won't crush you. Right? So you got to take him in in all of his aspects because only as you do that do you have an accurate picture of who you are. We behold Him as in a mirror. So when you look in a mirror, you see yourself. But in the Spirit, when you look in the mirror, you see Him. And then that is you. Does it make sense? So it's always looking at Him as He is to find out who we are. And it's on that revelation that He's the Christ, that He is building His bedrock or His church. That's a bedrock foundation. Now, this leads us to the next idea. The, ma the main, not made, the main message of the apostles and the prophets is who Christ Jesus is. 
both seated in heaven and in us. True apostles, true prophets, don't travel around and wear suits and have entourages, come and lay hands on you and prophesy to you. If you reduce a prophet to that, then you're misguided. Apostles and prophets are obsessed with who Christ is. Obsessed. And that's what they bring to people. Who Christ is in heaven and in you. They're also obsessed with bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth in tangible, practical ways. Where cities uh, are rehabilitated, crime rates go down, marriages and families are happy and strong, schools are healthy and strong, and places of learning, not um, places of uh, brainwashing. Uh, governments are ran with integrity. Uh, it looks nice. Uh, there's all of these aspects of the kingdom of God where you combine the natural with the supernatural. True apostles and prophets are foundation builders. That's what they do. Okay, They lay the foundation. So they're obsessed with the cornerstone, and then their job is to make sure that each stone, which is a person, we're living stones, right? That each stone is fitted where they need to be in that foundation, which is a far cry from a religious spirit because a religious spirit will always try to make you fit into their mold. That's very important. If someone's trying to make you fit into their mold, that is a religious spirit. Okay? And we've all been there. We've all done that. And that's not in the notes. So a lot of this stuff is not in the notes. If something stands out to you, you need to write it down. So apostles and prophets are uh, in labor until Christ is formed in you. Religious people labor to make sure you fit their image of who you should be. Now, Colossians. Okay, so that's the message of apostles and prophets, okay? Jesus Christ in heaven and in you. In Colossians 1.25-29 through 29, in the English Standard Version, I've got a lot of different versions here for you know the wording I like the wording Paul's talking about himself as a minister and he said of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you what was that stewardship to make the Word of God fully known <clears throat> in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God right or is God when he says to make the Word of God fully known, he is referring to the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, and, and I'll show you even more on down. The mystery hidden for ages and generations has uh, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory or the expectation of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. That's obsession. That's the epitome of an apostle and a prophet right there. Okay? Now, did you notice in verse 28 He said, Him we proclaim. Are marriage principles good? Okay. Yeah. Financial principles? Absolutely. But any principle outside of presence becomes form without power. Any principle outside of presence becomes form without power. You have sermons that teach about family and all that. That's fine. But you must direct people to the power of God which is the Holy Spirit. Because anybody can follow principles and get results. But it is presence. Israel was centered around presence. They, and how? By worship. So worship and presence was their guiding point. Once they walked away from that and began to serve other gods, they shifted their focus of presence from the true God to false gods. Why do we keep doing that? Again, why would you want to be part of a church that basically said God does nothing? 
If your only means of being born again is so you don't go to hell, then you are missing the entire point. Okay? He came to destroy the works of the devil. And that needs to be done here. Because the devil ain't operating in heaven. I, you know, in case y'all wondered, he's operating in the earth. So we are to proclaim him. <clears throat> A prophet in the New Testament, again, they do prophesy usually with high levels of accuracy. But a real prophet, a mature prophet, preaches people out of ruts. Okay? They preach Jesus Christ. That's what they do. It's the preaching anointing. is a prophet anointing in the New Testament. And so, again, reducing prophecy to getting a nice word is missing the whole point that the, the prophet, the preacher, is like, hey, your idea of who God is is incorrect. So I'm going to preach you out of that mess into truth. The teacher, what do they do? They lay down foundational principles which are based in who Christ is. It's so important, guys, to understand the, the roles of the fivefold ministry because the more time goes on, the more skewed they're going to get if we're not careful. And there are specific guidelines and posts that you can see that, hey, this person is not preaching Christ. They're actually just preaching themselves. Or they're not trying to form Christ in me, right? So that's an indicator, hmm, I might need to pay attention. I maybe can take the principles they're teaching if they're biblical, but more than likely they're not going to be centered around preaching Him. Do you think it's um, it would be like... Me getting up and giving a talk about somebody that I know of, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, oh yeah, all these facts about you know Abraham Lincoln, but I never knew Abraham Lincoln. Right, but yeah. until you, you know, are acquainted, there's certain things you just cannot. Yeah. Lay out. I also think that a lot of times when people begin to feel the call, right? So if there's a fivefold ministry call, when they begin to feel that. Sometimes it can get starstruck by what certain labels mean. You know, apostle, big deal, it's a function. Just like angel is a function for divine beings. Uh, prophet, big deal, it's a function. Who cares? What the name does is it defines the function so that you know your lane, right? And a lot of times, by the way, for people that may feel a call to be an apostle, you're usually a teacher and a prophet. There's a combination there. Teacher, preacher, prophet, teacher. But don't get caught up in all that stuff because who cares? God doesn't care. You shouldn't care. But it, sometimes, man, if you have to, you know, uh, rebuke some people, it helps to say your function because it adds a little bit more oomph, which we'd see the Apostle Paul do. <laughs> so Paul said that he's a minister in this verse, right? He's, I'm a minister. That's uh, the uh, Greek word for deacon. So as a deacon, he was called to make the word of God fully known. Isn't that interesting? The mystery hidden, Christ in you, him we preach, that we may present everyone mature. So I can only surmise that Jesus isn't being preached a lot in America because there's not a lot of mature Christians, seasoned Christians. Now in Galatians 1.15 it says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me. Now the reason I'm using the New King James here is both the English Standard and the Passion take out in, and they put to. I don't know why, because when I, you look in the original Greek, which I did, it's the word in. So it's frustrating that human translators change the word in to two and say to reveal Jesus Christ to me. I don't know if you guys know, but the word two and in are totally different. So a lot of people in the pulpit preach Jesus to people. Right. A true apostle, a true prophet, teaches and preaches Jesus in you. And when they release the Word of God, it's not written words or principles. They're releasing the essence of Jesus Christ. There's an impartation that occurs. In fact, 
in uh, uh, Proverbs, it says that wisdom is actually an impartation. And uh, so when I preach, I am releasing the Word of God, the wisdom. Jesus Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. I started calculating. I have been in the book of Proverbs for over three years, and I cannot get away from it. I just keep going back to it and back to it and back to it. And part of it is within the book of Proverbs are the things that you need to reign in life, but also to take cities. And so that's, that's part of it. But when we preach Christ in you, then what happens is that impartation of the Word meets up with the Word in you and is like, yes! And then the spirit of faith is in there saying, let's do this, right? And so then lives are transformed and a lot more fat, quicker than you see in maybe traditional settings where Jesus has preached to people versus in them. So he says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him, see, preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. If you are, if your spiritual gift is a prophet, you will be preaching. <coughs> That's it. And the preaching anointing is a lot of fun, by the way. Okay. The core of Paul's gospel, God now dwells in man, not in buildings. He dwells in those who are born from above, and as he is preached, especially the Christ in you aspect of the gospel, everyone matures in Christ. Okay, let's look at Ephesians 4.15 in the English Standard. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are uh, to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So picture it this way. So you have the outer circle, right? That's your body. Then you have an inner circle, which is your soul. And then you have a most inner circle, which is your spirit. In your spirit is where Holy Spirit dwells, Christ in you in absolute fullness, perfection, holiness, righteousness, etc. He wants to bust out. So the way he busts out is when your soul comes into agreement with your spirit, all of a sudden he expands out and expands out and expands out. And then guess what? All of a sudden the soul reality begins to expand out into your body. And all of a sudden that reality begins to expand out into your surroundings. So he wants to break out, and the only way he can do that is by the word being preached, you come into agreement with the word, and then bam, there's an expansion project going on on the inside of you. So that is growing up into him. That's what that means. Does that make sense? Very practical. But people get tripped up on, well, you know, if I wasn't until a sinner, why do I do the things that I used to do when I was a sinner? Because you're, he needs to bust out. It's so simple. The simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple, but we make it hard. It's ridiculous. I, 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 I hate religion. I hate, <laughs> I hate where it keeps people. I hate, you know, where, I mean, the spirit of stupid is the only thing that I can think of that would make a person to think that you would follow a God who does nothing and doesn't even like you. What is wrong with people? Fear, because they're afraid to step that one step out because it's, oh, you're going to hell if you do that. If you get right, I mean, you know, I think it's just a Definitely fear Definitely root, rooted in fear. How can but you believe you're going to make it to heaven if you don't believe in, in the rest of it? The whole point is love. Love became human. But if you're so performance-based, then every single thing I do is important. It, I, I know, but I even these step. people aren't doing performance space or being a jerk to everybody. They're just afraid to step out. They're one of those sour mm -hmm. face Christians. Yep. You know, walking around like they've sucked on a lemon. <laughs> and, and it's so sad because it's like they're right in front of a doorway and all they'd have to do is turn the knob and open it and go into ex the expansion of God's love, who He is, how He designed them, what they're supposed to do. But it's almost like a drug addict that likes to be high. It's like these people like to beat themselves up and, 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 and follow a God that doesn't even exist 
Well, actually, he exists by the name of Satan. Uh, he's the one that's an abuser. That's their comfort zone. Satan's the one that beats the crap out of you. He's the one that accuses you. He's the one that lets you know he hates you. So when people assign those aspects to God, it just really irritates me. Not that he needs me to take up for his reputation. He can do that by himself. Apostles and prophets are equippers and trainers of the saints. But their dominant message will be Christ in you and the reality of who he is. That is the foundation true apostles and prophets lay because they recognize the cornerstone and use him as a reference for all revelations of Christ. All true apostles and prophets preach Christ. A true prophet pre preaches Christ and equips others to hear God. And a true apostle is a builder whose goal is to make sure everyone else grows bigger than them. That's from Chris Follington. I love that. Love it, love it, love it. An apostle always makes sure everyone else grows bigger than them. So there ain't none of this ego crap where an apostle shows up and they just kind of walk in the room like John Wayne. You know, that's not how that... Now, if you mess with the sheep, they may do that, but they don't need attention on themselves. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we talked about this before. When people go to our house... They don't go, oh, you have a lovely foundation. <laughs> you can't even see the foundation. The closest you're going to get is to the floor, right? So, oh, you have lovely wood floors. Thank you. But you always look at the building. Okay, here's my question. If an apostle and prophet is laying a true foundation to where the building can be beautiful, then what's wrong if the building ain't beautiful? You got ugly people acting ugly, talking ugly, being ugly. The foundation's messed up. And more than likely, the foundation they've laid is works, performance, form without power. You're still jacked up, blah, 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 blah. Because whatever you believe you are, you are. And whatever people preach to you or teach to you, if you come into agreement, that's faith. So that's what you're going to be. And it's probably doctrine, old doctrine. Oh, absolutely. Just, you know. Yeah. There is no jealousy or territorialism with a true prophet or apostle because they're obsessed with Christ. They could care less. No. Oh, I already talked about that. Home. <laughs> the only time you look at the foundation is when you're purchasing a house. Apostles and prophets are the floor, not the ceiling. Romans 15, 18 through 20 in the English Standard. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. I think G got that for the Ecclesia yeah. Friday. Power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to a city I cannot pronounce, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's Foundation. Now, there wasn't a different foundation, but he's pointing out his main area of focus is the Gentiles. He preaches Christ among them. And even among the Gentiles, there were others like Apollos. He laid foundations as well. So Paul respected spheres. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9 through 11 in the English Standard, and then we're going to read it in the Passion. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, but the foundation is to be Jesus Christ as well, right? Now, apostles are builders. They're very skilled at building people. If an apostle is not building you, if they are instead building their own legacy, their own empire, their own ministry on the backs of the people, they're not a true apostle. They're false. So a true apostle will lay down their life to build people. That's what they're obsessed with. Now, in the Passion it says, we are co-workers with God and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. God has given me unique gifts as a skilled master builder who lays a good foundation. Afterward, another craftsman comes and builds on it. Now, I like that word craftsman. Did y'all see that? 
That's our main gift, right? Comes and builds on it. So builders beware. Let everybody, every builder do his work carefully according to God's standards. For no one is empowered to lay an alternative foundation other than the good foundation that exists, which is Jesus Christ. So that's why I wanted to use that because I thought that was interesting to have craftsmen. Now I looked it up and a craftsman is a man of skill providing uh, us with a wide array of skill sets we can use to build his house. Isn't that interesting? We aren't confined to specific skills, but we are multi-talented. Paul said that the people of God are God's building and he is an apostle, a skilled master builder. It's one of my favorite uh, descriptions of Paul in the Bible. Okay, now I want to break down. First of all, workers. Workers are those who use different gifts and abilities, but the true growth of God's kingdom is through divine power. No one is a superstar. We are all members on God's team. That's the Passion Translation. I think I've told you guys about you know, when I was working at um, Christian Bookstore. It's no longer here, but I had to call this lady and leave you know, a message that her Bible was ready. This is Evangelist Prophet so-and-so was her voicemail. And I'm all, Ugh. First of all, <laughs> I knew her. She was not those things and still isn't. But the second thing is, why would you do that? Why would you leave that message? What significance are you gaining from that title of which you don't even possess in the first place? You know, that is a person who is insecure and feels the need to communicate their significance by a label. Okay? That is a person that is on a road to disaster. Not only that, by her age, both physically and in the kingdom, that shouldn't matter anymore. You know, young kids, you know, in the kingdom, they care about that stuff, you know. They're, that's what they're doing. They have dreams and aspirations and aspirations and things that God's given them to be, and they're excited about it, and they think that's where their significant lies. Wisdom is between the call and the commission that you work all of that out of you. That's the wisdom part. If you get any little goosebumps if someone calls you a function of the fivefold, you've missed the point entirely. And not only that, 95% will never carry a fivefold ministry title. They will in the marketplace, but not in full-time ministry. So who cares? You know. So it's very important to check ourselves in those areas to make sure that we're not taking on a superstar mentality. Grace is for the task. Grace is God's operational power and makes all of our gifts different. The grace given us determines the gifts we operate in. Okay? So the grace of hospitality, the grace of prophecy, the grace of healing. You're not special if you possess those things, but the one you carry is special. So he gives a specific grace, but I personally believe you can come in and out of grace as needed for different gifts in a meeting. Okay? But there's dominant ones you'll typically operate in. Even though grace gives us the ability to carry out our tasks, we must still practice in order to become skillful. Skilled master builder is in the, the Greek wise first class architect. And as he continues his passage, we see that wisdom builds her house with divine substance, gold, redemption's fruit, silver, and transformed lives or costly stones versus works of the flesh, the building materials of man, not God. Okay, now, in summary so far, the people of God, we are His building. The foundation is a revelation of who Christ is and who He is in us. The apostles and prophets are those who lay the foundation through preaching Christ, which results in impartation of their grace and the essence of Jesus as the Word to those who actively grasp it. Okay, so that's the summary so far. Now we're going to take a big detour. We're going to go to Revelation 21, 9-14 because we're still talking about His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations whose architect and builder is God Himself. Okay, so we're still on that. I'm going to read 9-14 through 14 out of the English Standard. 
Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues. He spoke to me, he said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away uh, in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, the north three gates, the south three gates, and the west three gates. On the wall of the city had twelve foundations, thought that was interesting, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, I thought we were looking at his bride, but instead we're looking at a <coughs> city. Okay, so God equates the bride as his city, the city as us. Okay? So Abraham was looking for the bride of Christ. See, he saw Christ before Christ came. That's why he could say, the Lord will provide for himself a, a, a lamb, a ram, a sacrifice, right? How did he know that? It had to be by revelation of Holy Spirit. He saw a suffering Messiah. Same thing with Daniel. Same thing with Isaiah. Same thing with Jeremiah. They all saw this mystery, they couldn't quite articulate it, but they saw the future and they wanted to be part of it. And they searched the scriptures to try to figure it out. Now, this is interesting. In 22 through 27, same chapter, it says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The city of Jerusalem that captured the attention of David was a type of this city right here. That's why it's crucial to study and interpret the Old Testament through the New. I mean, just think about it. Jerusalem, the heart of the Israelite nation, where God said, I will put my name. And if you pray this direction, I will answer your prayers, right? That was a picture an earthly picture of us being his city. So I think it's actually twofold. I think there's actually a spiritual city that has foundations, that has walls, that has gates, that we're going to live in as resurrected right. beings. But we are also that city. Right. Okay? Abraham longed to see our day when the apostles and prophets would lay the foundation of God's city using the chief cornerstone as a reference point for all construction. In a way, you could say that the builders of God's city are in the business of constructing and building people. Apostles and prophets, along with the other fivefolds, whether you're in the marketplace or not, are able to take parts and assemble or frame them out systematically and methodically until Christ in each person is revealed and that person then walks into their purpose and call. So I can look at each one of you, right, and I'm sure you guys can do the same, and see what gifts and calls are there, what maybe needs to be challenged or is lacking, what needs to be reinforced, what needs to stop, that's inferior uh, building materials, throw that out, whatever it is. That's what apostles are able to do. They can assess, and then they collect and gather all the supplies that are needed, and they begin to give it out to the people, and they also feed the people Christ. My body is bread. You must eat of me. They're able to impart him, right, so that you can then fulfill your call. And it's important to remember that apostles and prophets are focused on the task of building, meaning that at times their hammer and chisel strikes 
and the drilling of holes can be painful and challenging. So all you need to do when an apostle's hammering on you or drilling holes in you, just find a pastor somewhere. <laughs> They'll comfort you. Go to G or go to Diane Richards. <laughs> Roberta, you know. <clears throat> okay. Let's finish with this. This is so cool. The healing of nations. By its light will the nations walk. Okay? So we see people will be bringing in the glory and the wealth of nations. It's a restoration of the Garden of Eden. Uh, now, I, this is post, right? Post-tribulation, post-millennial reign. Well, there's still going to be nations? Uh-huh. Yep. Sheep nations. When it says up here, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Wait a minute, I thought everything said and done. Why would there be any danger of anything unclean or detestable entering the city? Well, we are seeing a reformation of the earth and heavens to the original intent. So where it says that God's going to make a new heavens and a new earth at the end, that's actually a very interesting word which we're going to look at in a second. But listen to 22, 1-5 through 5 in the Passion. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing with water clear as crystal, continually pouring out from the throne of God and the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on the other side of the river was the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of ripe fruit, according to each month of the year. The trees of the tree of, the leaves of the tree of life were for the healing of the nations. And every curse will be broken and no longer exist, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city. His loving servants will serve Him. They will constantly see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will never need the light of the sun or a lamp, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign as kings forever and ever. There's so much here. The healing leaves are given for service, nurture, and care of the nations. Now this is post-New Heaven and New Earth. In verses 1 and 2 it says, Then in a vision I saw a new heaven and new earth. The first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of the heavenly realm from the presence of God, like a pleasing bride that has been prepared for her husband, adorned for her wedding. Okay, I want you guys to walk away grasping the utmost importance and significance of your call with what I'm about to say. Okay, the word new here is kanos. It's different from another common Greek word, which is neos. Neos is new in relation to time, meaning it's newly made, recent, that which has recently come into existence. So existence, so like a newborn baby. They've never been on earth before. They're born. They're new. A new house that never existed. All of a sudden, it's built. It's new. Okay? But this word, kanos, refers to qualitatively new, meaning, quote, new in the aspect of quality. He's not going to completely destroy the atmosphere or the earth that we live on now, but instead it's going to be renewed and restored to a better version. So all that man did to destroy, God is going to restore, but even better. Like our house that was remodeled, Completely different and better than the original. God is obsessed with restoring Eden and the original mandate on the earth. So that's what he's going to do, but it's going to be even better than before. Okay? So back to chapter 22, too. The nations will need to be healed. The effect of sin the disastrous rule of the Antichrist and the goat nations, the wars, the plagues, will all need to be healed. Personally, I believe it's the healing of the trauma too. Now, all of this implies there will be two races of people on the earth. Those who form the city of God, the bride and the citizens of the nations. The resurrected and those who survived the tribulation and all that was involved, but they didn't take the mark. Okay. Okay. 
we will be resurrected beings. We make up the city of God. We'll live in the city of God. We will be the kings who now rule over the nations. Okay? But those who survived the tribulation, the Antichrist, all of that, they, they're not born again, but they did not take the mark, they're still going to be around. Isn't that interesting? And so he's saying there's two sets of people. Now let me give you another scripture. Isaiah 66, 22-24. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. Now he's using those phrases taking us right to Revelation 22, 1-2. He's timing it for us, right? And it says, From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. That's the lake of fire. Okay? It appears from this strange passage that there will be a portal which people can look into the lake of fire where nations, people can go. They can receive those who rebelled against God as a reminder, don't rebel again. These are those, of course, who do not have resurrection bodies like we will, which is why we are blessed to be part of the first resurrection. They're going to keep having kids. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take dominion. So we're going to play a role as a race that cannot be tempted to evil. Once we have our resurrected bodies, it doesn't matter. We can never be tempted to evil. Satan will have been removed. He's in the lake of fire. All the Nephilim spirits are in the lake of fire. The Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown live into the lake of fire, which always proves that this flesh is always subject to temptation. Even with God Himself dwelling on the earth. Well, if I only saw God, I'd believe. No, that's not how it works. Right? Well, you're dealing with a rod of iron too to do that Well, yes. But, you know, the, I mean, that's probably part of His big iron. I'm wondering why... <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, Take him by the, the ear. Why the big rebellion at the end? At the end of the why, if they can see it, mm-hmm. why are so many going to rebel again? See, everybody blames him. And he gets way to too much glory. Way too much glory. Because he is not the root of sin. He's the root of lies. The root of sin was Adam and Eve listening to a voice other than God's. It was unbelief. The unbelief was centered in, did God really say, and are you really who you are? They, he besmirched the character of God. But, he'll be removed. What's the excuse then? You know? Final scripture. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now that's a millennial reign. We'll never know why God chose us to be born in this time to be part of the first resurrection. We'll never know. But what we do know is that we can be thankful for the role He has given us and be faithful to our purpose, a purpose that will extend beyond this present reality into the formation of a new heaven and a new earth and beyond. I just, I'm like, Lord, why did you put us on the earth at this time? Why aren't we born post-New Heaven and New Earth? You know? It's just, it's fascinating. I don't know why I did that. But whatever we build on Earth now, no matter how small it appears to you, how insignificant, it plays a role and it determines how much of an impact and where we will serve when He sets up His kingdom with the New Heaven and New Earth. One of my favorite... Well, I've forgotten which one of the... The um, evangelist it was, but the shoe smell salesman witness to a. I think it was Moody. Yeah, and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't Moody. It was too Moody. Too Moody, yeah. 
and then, you know, one shoe salesman that led to a revival. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, so, and then it was the trickle down. So we don't know that what one word from us is to the, uh, you know, whatever person is going to be. Yeah. And even like, you know, gifts that maybe aren't superstar gifts, administration, uh, what's another one? Well, some people think hospitality, hospitality seems so yeah. insignificant to people, but with hospitality comes an anointing to feel special mm -hmm. and peace and love. Uh, I mean, there's so many. You know, and when we get into the power gifts and the prophecy gifts, people are starstruck. But to me, all of those things, encouragement, a giver, you know, the gift of giving, often people will never know how much they gave. Because you can't let your right hand know what your left is doing, right? So there's so many gifts that are undercover. And I I, um, I personally believe those gifts that people hold in light esteem are actually the most important ones. And, you know, and another thing, too, is, you know, as a final thought, a true apostle and prophet, you will not hit a ceiling with them. Well, okay. I was thinking when you went to Arizona, what, what, my takeaway, I'll just put it that way, from what they got from it wasn't so much the teaching as it was the connection. Right. So, you know, the hospitality, the, you know, just the abundance of love. Sometimes people, that means more to them than, you know, all these words that the teachings you know, sometimes they will not. The hospitality is kind of like the plow that turns up the, the heart to be softened. Yeah. And then when when you have teaching, then you have prophecy, and you have other things. Then those things can come and rest in the heart. And not to mention how blessed I was. And the thing is, is that type of connection would have never occurred in a church building. Right. There's something about like when you enter the president's office. You know, all of a sudden you're. You know, just trying not to <laughs> knock anything over, or you know, and you're all formal. But when you're in a setting like Ooh. we were, it's and that's why you know the the church shift is so important. You're in a setting where there is that exchange of connection, and it's very important. So, but yeah, an apostle ceiling is always your floor. And if you're ever restricted, now sometimes though, you know, they have to say, hey. You're not ready yet. There's a couple things there that could bring some destruction, so let's work on that. But other than that, you should never not have a place in your role on the earth because an apostle doesn't let you, or a pastor doesn't let you, or there's insecurity and territorialism and all that stuff. You should be able to always get bigger than them. I like that. So, all right, anything? Mm -hmm. So that's what you mean when you say that uh, an apostle and a prophet will never get yeah. Mm -hmm. Can you say that again? Well, you just did. <laughs> <laughs> <what> you <laughs> but an apostle ceiling is actually your floor. So there's no there's no limit. It's like building blocks. They're a foundation. Just like you walk on your foundation, you can build however many stories you want. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your order. An order that seems the exact opposite of a lot of people's order. Where the last is first, the first is last, the least esteemed is the most esteemed in your eyes, the little is big to you, and the big is little. The upside down king. And Father, we want to know and explore and understand that idea of what your city looks like and what the kingdom is all about, the values that are important to you. Father, we want to understand those in depth. And I know I pray big prayers every Sunday, but Father, I, I would love to be a people that explore the kingdom so thoroughly, explore what it is to be uh, in Christ and what it is uh, of you to us and you know, the revelation of who you are, all of those things, I would love to be a people that have such a grasp, such an understanding 
of what that looks like that we literally create Eden on earth. And what I mean by that, and I've got precedent, Father, is Solomon was able to build a nation and a city where there was such peace, there was such prosperity that silver was like just, you know, pennies. I mean, they would just throw it over on the side <coughs> of the street. And yet, in all his wisdom of building that, Father, he still missed out on what it means to be in relationship with you. And so, Father, all of the areas of lack that we see that prevented people from entering into the fullness, we know in Christ there is no limitation. Father, for some of us, we're closer to meeting you than others. And I ask that you accelerate that process for us and help us to talk to those who are younger about the kingdom of God. I, wanted, I want to finish the book of Acts. Wherever it is, in our city, our roles, our communities, I want to finish the book of Acts. I want to get to heaven. I want us to all sit around and say, and then Kathy went and did this and did that and did this. And Roberta, and then she ministered here and sparked this and that. I mean, all of those things. I want to see those stories in heaven. And so, Father, we lay aside just anything that would distract us or that's petty. There's no room for pettiness in the kingdom. I pray, Father, that we don't ever feel like superstars and be starstruck. Got to have a name on the curb where we park. Father, we don't want any of that. If we stay covert the rest of our duration, that's fine with me. But I do know one thing. By your power, we will lay the foundation. We will expand your kingdom.